Welcome back to the Great Big Massive Frozen Conversation. I'm Dave Bulmer, and me and my friend Jahan Ranasing are two grown-ups who've spent hours and hours talking seriously about cartoons to one another, and we thought it was about time we recorded some of those hours. We ended up taking that idea a bit literally when we decided to finally regurgitate all the feelings we had about Disney's Frozen, a film we'd never really had the chance to properly discuss. The first episode was an overview led largely by Jahan, who's good at seeing films in that bigger picture way that reviewers can. But now we commence a chronological picking apart of the film, following the notes that I made as I watched it ready for this podcast. Some of these notes are criticisms or compliments, and others are not especially insightful and would get edited out if they hadn't spun off into discussions that are worth leaving in. So, don't think of what you're about to hear as a review, or at least not the kind of review people listen to to find out whether to watch a film. This is a post-film discussion, and it is assumed here that our listener has seen it. So, here we go then! A chronological nitpick of Disney's Frozen by two men old enough to know better. So now we're going to go through the film a little bit more. I guess I want to establish at the outset. Everyone, I like this film. I know we've said this before, but I want now that we're going to nitpick. Yeah. I don't want anyone to think that this is the point at which like we reveal our true colors. Yes. Some of the notes I made here, I made when I wasn't quite as fond of this film. Cuz basically I decided that if something about the film didn't sit well with me, I wanted to know exactly why that was and I wanted to be able to justify that opinion. So we're now going to go through the film scene by scene and I've got a set of chronological notes here. And uh, I've now got a cake. Thank you, Abby. Oh, thank you. Abby has brought us like podcast cake. I think a slightly too big helping uh, of (laughs) banoffee banoffee, uh, pie. And I'm just going to be stuffing this in my face while we record. Uh, mm, 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 Yeah. If you want to enjoy the fully interactive podcast experience, having watched The Princess and the Frog earlier. Yes. Then now is your cue to get your own banoffee pie out that you will have. Pre-purchased because you'll. I'll put it in the liner notes. Yeah, put it in the liner notes. That the recipe for this recording includes banoffee pie. Yum! This is really nice. At this point, you start eating. Start your pies now. Mm. Okay. Okay. No, I'm just gonna eat this pie. (laughs) The reason we're doing this incredibly unprofessional thing during this recording is because of who we are. Well, (laughs) a that and b we've been talking for a while now. And we don't want to be talking into the middle of the night. Yeah. So, so we're going to plow on even as we eat our cake. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I will put my cake aside for a moment because I'm going to be sort of taking the lead in this section because All I'm right. just going to be reading my notes. I'm going to eat the hell out of this cake. Some of the time I'm literally going to just read my notes. There are a couple of bits that are... There's no... I haven't written anything deliberately in an essay way, but there are some bits where... Have you it, written words? I've written words, and, and I've, I've made little scribbles, and I've drawn very rude things. Yeah. And I'm basically going to interpret most of those a lot of the time. But there are a couple of topics on which I've written what I may as well just read out word for word, because otherwise I'll stumble over my thoughts. Yes. Feel free to haphazardly skip through your copy of Frozen as yes. we do this. Okay, um, first thing that I didn't notice before, and, and this isn't a criticism, this is, this is literally just something I didn't notice before, and there'll be a lot of those. Yeah. There is going to be a lot of just observations in this, is that we don't ever find out if there's a reason why she has these ice powers at all. She is born with them, we know that. Yeah. I guess the only reason it came up in my head at all is because we know about the fact that magic is something bestowed by the trolls in one sense. Yeah. In other senses, it simply is. On one hand, I'm okay with the fact that they don't yeah. explain why Elsa has 
has her powers. Yeah. On the other hand, you talked about Arendelle not feeling like a real place. Yeah. I find that the world building in this film is haphazard. Mm -hmm. It feels cobbled together in that sense that things are explained to us at the exact moment they yes. become relevant. Yes. Basically, I'm unhappy with almost everything to do with the trolls yes. in this film for that reason. Mm. I don't... I mean, I was going to say I don't like them that much as characters, but of course I don't like them that much as characters. They don't really have characters. No. They're mostly there to just serve plot reasons. Whether that be explaining the magical backgrounding of the world, which is incredibly vague and difficult to understand. Yeah. Or to explain who and why Kristoff is in the film, which is, yeah. I feel, equally vague and difficult it's to understand. A it, it's a question that remains at the end of the film. Yes. Dad knows where to go. He has a book that seems to show a troll banishing ice from a man's head. And that was, I think, why I wondered about, has he been there before? Yeah. Is that why she has the ice powers? You know, is there some... Did something go on with them before and now it's like, oh no, my daughter's come out with magic. Are you implying he had sex with a troll? No. I'm no. <laughs> no. I'm implying that there, some deal may have been done at some point. Involving I mean, sex. But I'm not. I'm, no. <laughs> anyway, I'm not implying anything because obviously it's not in the film so it doesn't exist. But it's just something that... This is a film that I felt kept showing me... Implications of implications troll Implications <laughs> of... Storylines, yes, that are then not not just not followed through with in a way that I found satisfying, but simply never it it turns out not to be relevant. Yeah, um, there are a few moments of this which I'll be getting to. Okay, I didn't notice before that when the troll is doing her memories, this is the first time I ever actually saw that they're not just being erased; they're being turned into different ones. Yeah, they're being modified. Yeah, yeah that thing where it turns from them playing with snow indoors to <laughs> playing with snow outdoors. So yeah. it's like she still has the memories; they're just normal now. Yeah, I felt having watched that and having seen that in the moment after that, where the troll says there will be fear, and the fear is depicted as like specifically some people who are afraid. Rather yes. than, like, her being afraid. Both of which I had to almost pause the disc to notice because it's so fast. I suddenly was on board with a lot more of the story. And if only those had been slightly lingered on, I feel as if some of my initial what's going on-ness that, that dragged me down a bit in the cinema might not have been there. What did you not feel that you understood what was happening, th those flashbacks, when you actually it's paid not, attention to It's not so much... It's a very good question. It's not so much about that. It's about engagement with the story. It's about right. me being the tooth of a cog fitting into another one, which yeah. is the film. I always felt things were vague in a way that, like... Yeah. Like the way that, the, as you were saying a minute ago, like the magic system, as it were, feels vague. Yeah. This made it even more vague. I was another step away from this because I thought that what happened in that thing was that her memories were, like in other films like this or in other stories like this, her memories were in some way repressed. In other words, I was waiting the whole film for her to get her memories back. Right. Yeah. For sure. Like that. a lot of the criticisms I had of that film was like, why didn't that trigger her memories? Yeah. Why didn't that trigger her memories? It has been pointed out to me, and I'm well aware of this, that a lot of my nitpicks with this film are simply because I expected something the film wasn't doing. Yeah. And some of that is my fault. Some of that is the film's fault, which yes. I'll be getting to. I mean, I would say this, and this some of sequence that, is an example of that. Some of that is the fact that because all other Disney films yes. have been X, yeah. you go in expecting this to be X. The moments where it subverts that are great, but the moments where it expected you not to expect them in the first place didn't That's land That's the me. film's fault. Yeah. yeah. That, I think so, anyway. 
I would say that the film is at fault for a lot of that mm. intro expo dump with the troll guy. There's a huge amount, as you say, that is intrinsic to your understanding of the emotional stakes of the story, of yep. the world, of the nature of yeah. attitudes within that world, of the nature of attitudes towards magic, of the yep. relationship between the two sisters, of the relationship between the parents and magic, etc., 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 that is blazed through in about 30 seconds there. And if you're not right there with it, it's very easy to feel like, wait, what? Oh, what? Trolls? Oh, yeah. Her? Magic? Oh, memory? What? None of like, which, and this we have to acknowledge this, none of those problems would be felt by a seven-year-old watching the film. They would just see magic and go, yeah, story. That's true, but that isn't necessarily a defense of the film. No. Like... I would, oh, never in this house is anyone allowed to say, oh, it's just a film for kids. Like, no, no, no. We would never. No. They are interested in building character and building emotional through lines. That's great. But so much of the nature of this storyline is dependent on weird little intricacies of world building and magical subsection 3A of the troll code <laughs> yeah. that is just thrown at us in a haphazard way, not particularly well explained, and only explained to us at the point where it explicitly becomes relevant. So you just feel like, yeah, we're just making this up. You know, you're just making this up. Like, yeah. the stakes of the story are being magicked out of the ground instead of growing organically. Yeah. Um, and when you when you watch the film again, knowing what they are, yeah. a lot of it does make sense then. It's just as, when you're being carried along by the story, particularly for the first time, it can be a very... Um, Disorienting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect word for it, yeah. With which we have reached a song. Do you want to build a snowman? I was thinking to myself about to what extent this can be seen as a puberty thing. Because I certainly remember, as an, I'm an older sibling, yes. and I certainly remember that there is a point where, uh, never to the extent of this film, but I did suddenly not want to play anymore. And yeah. my, my brother's three years younger than me, and it must have been weird for him, because I literally would shut myself in my room. Not in a very moody way at first, and yeah. then in a more moody way as time went on. I was quite moody when I was about 15. Yeah. And I saw that in this. And at first I thought I was being silly, it won't be that. But then, when you get to let it go, yeah. the imagery in there is of like the first go at adulthood. She puts on yeah. the dress, she starts to walk with the swagger. So I think that, I think that is something that they're oh, drawing Oh, 100%, yeah. definitely. Because Elsa is very much, as I've discussed earlier, the character who is struggling with the burden of trying to become this adult person, yeah. a different adult from the adult she actually is inside, mm -hmm. and as a result of her being burdened with that expectation, okay, it's complicated with, like, magical memory, blah, 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 ice powers, etc. But in an emotional scale, yes, it is Elsa growing distant from Anna because of the fact that she has these societal expectations placed upon her, and yeah, I definitely think you can see that as... Uh, metaphor for what happens when one sibling grows up before another one. And in that context, it puts a little spin on the idea of the fact that by trying to fit into what she perceives, and it is, by the way, important that it's what she perceives, her parents are dead yeah. for, the, for like her adulthood, so a lot of it is her own idea of what society expects of her rather than yeah. something anyone's telling her. Also, the fact that, that what her parents were telling her to do was hardly their vision either. Mm. It was just them improvising yes. what they could think of in not a great situation. Yeah, when they gave her that idea of hiding her powers and her true self, conceal, don't feel, yeah. it doesn't seem like they meant for her to spend the rest of her life following it. But yeah. maybe just the next few months. Yeah, while they work yeah. this out. You know? And then they die. Yeah. And so I actually think it's really clever the way that they die, and then almost the next thing we see is the coronation, yeah. which stands as this grand 
like passing on from father to to Elsa. Yeah. And just before that scene, we have her looking at the the painting of his coronation, of the king's coronation. Yeah. And saying to herself, "Conceal, don't feel." So it becomes this metaphorical passing on of that. Yes. And it becomes her mantra then. Yeah. Whereas it may never have been a mantra before. Exactly. Whether her father had intended that or not. That's the thing. I'm not too harsh on that because, yes, they do give her some very bad lessons that do screw her up and cause most of the problems in this film. But I also think that they are well-meaning people who are trying to do as best as they can in in very uncharted territories. Yeah. As parents go. I like all of the stuff emotionally that happens during the Do You Want to Build a Snowman yeah. sequence. I like the melody yeah. of Do You Want to Build a Snowman. I find it a frustrating song because it is just primarily composed of rhyming sequences that don't close. Yes, now I remember you saying this at the time. And yeah. because of that, I really examined what I thought about that this time. Yeah. And I'm on board with it. I actually think it's a good thing, except for one big glaring problem. See... I think, I don't know how deliberate this was, but let's get, I, I'll give them the benefit of that and assume it's deliberate. That the, the, that's the point, is that they never quite get to the end of almost their conversation. Like you're, the, the fact so that... So it's like an attempted duet that yes, the other person is no one's replying. Exactly. Yeah. And the first time, do you want to build a snowman? And then, okay, bye is almost a separate thing. She can't yeah. have meant to say that when in musical world, yeah. the verse was being set up. So what would have been, what would have happened perfectly there yeah. in an ideal world is that Elsa would have finished the line. Yeah. Every time after that, when the line when the verse doesn't finish it's because we're not getting a reply from Elsa I think especially I the last time where the final line is actually played on an oboe or something you hear this doo 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 as the camera pans to her yeah literally she's actually we didn't know this before she could have been at the other end of the room she's yeah. got her head right up against where her sister's face is yeah and she's not replying yeah so I actually think that that was a good thing here's the problem that points to the line being finished in the triumphant reprise at the end of the film well, we'll get to that <laughs> Won't we? <laughs> yes, we will. Won't we? <laughs> and if that had happened, yeah. it would be great. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think that anyone... I don't think you would have had the problem with it. I no. think you would have thought it was a good thing. Yeah. As it is, it is this weird dangling participle. Is that a phrase? That I know what you mean. Yeah. But the whole song is constructed around that. And yeah. Either that's too clever for its own good mm. or... It's well, dumb. <laughs> it's an example of it. This is what I'm thinking before. Like there are examples all the way through the soundtrack of like things from different musicals. This is from the musical that has a reprise at the end. Yeah. Um. The the reprise of First Time in Forever mm. is from a musical that has a ton of Les Mis style conversational happens to fit in with a musical yeah motif we know from elsewhere. The stage version can fix all these problems. Everything every nitpick I have. Oh yeah. Can be fixed. It needs to. It will be like almost accidentally they'll fill it fill in the gaps yeah okay so let me move on to the next thing then oh yeah no this is oh, sorry I, I meant to say this ages ago and, I, and we went off on a different track what it puts an interesting spin on is the fact that because she is trying to fit herself into what she perceives as the adult role she should fulfill it seeds a lot of self-loathing in her and this is something a lot of people go through in puberty and never mm-hmm. quite shake oh absolutely um, yeah so that again is I guess another way that it connects to this is a, a secret little seeds in which it's going to connect with its audience again in X years time oh yeah <laughs> no absolutely yeah no I mean Elsa is going to be a very powerful character for a lot of people throughout their lives yes which is why I wish she was in the film more but we'll get to that ah. <laughs> um, little notes the glove goes on 
as we first hear the phrase "conceal, don't feel." Awesome. Yeah. The glove all the way through the gloves. Of course. I mean, they represent. We know what they represent because she takes them off dramatically. Yes. But the fact that they do that is good. I like that. I thought up until like this time watching it, because I and this is my fault, wasn't paying attention. I thought the idea came from the trolls uh, really? of "conceal, don't feel," and I, it didn't. Yeah, I, I had that impression as well, but yeah. no, it wasn't. Mm. The trolls did not tell them as much as they could have. No. But but they were better than I thought. Um, the, the, what they do say carries on throughout. There's beauty in it, but there'll be a lot of fear. And that, yeah. and that graphic of, if you don't look carefully, it can just look like a sort of generic fear monster. But then you realise, oh, it's a crowd of people. Yeah. I think, I think if that had been clearer or I had been looking at it better, yeah. um, I would have, I think, drawn a clearer line between what the trolls say and what the dad says, I think. Then the shipwreck scene, I think is perfect. I yes. love the shipwreck shot. As I've noted here, it might be the first use of an unsteady camera I can think of in a Disney film. It's being kind of tossed around with the waves, and I'm struggling to think of another example of that. There could be others, but I can't think of off They the might have used a bit of faux steady cam in, like, maybe the bit where Flynn's escaping from the guards or something like that. I know they've done it in Pixar, they did it in Monsters, Inc., but... We'd have to check. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that was... It was used there. Lovely shot. Ah, oh, well, just so masterful, the way the, the yeah. boat's just enfolded. It's not over-dramatised. It's no. underplayed. Oh, loved it. Yeah. I love the music. Everything about it is handled and right. The cut to the um, the portrait being Ugh, being curtained yes. over, yeah, yeah, and then then the cuts. Basically, this is a series of good cuts because then you're at the funeral, yeah, and Elsa's not there, yeah. The, you've got the two big stones, which are like gravestones, but they're just giant stones, yeah, and then you've got Anna standing between them, but just off to one side to highlight the, the space gap. Elsa should be in. Yeah. And then it fades from that to her in the same place in the shot. Like, she almost might as well just walk forward from that shot yeah. to the corridors. And suddenly now, the walls of the palace are where the gravestones were. Yes. And you get this real sense of her being hemmed in by them. Yes. Fantastic. And of course, on one side is doors. And yeah. all of it is told to you there. She's surrounded by doors everywhere. The absence of her parents is really, really highlighted. This density of like visual storytelling yeah. uh, is something that I think is a great strength of yeah. animation. And that I didn't realise was in this film the first time yes. I watched it. I had to really it's pour diff- over it. I don't think anyone's blaming you for not noticing something that like that the first time. No, but... It's all there, though, and it... Yeah. It, it, I feel like I do notice it in other d- animated films, though, maybe. But it gets... It, it, it sort of permeates gradually. Yeah. That's because you've got so many visually-minded people working on this over such an amount yeah. of time. That sequence, visually, is a masterpiece, I yeah. think. And what that cut to the corridor did... I think, and the and the, the funeral scene is it basically makes Anna feel as shut away as Elsa is. Yes, and also at the same time, it's married forever the concept of being shut away, which we think of as Elsa's thing, with grief and yeah. sort of that kind of mood. Yeah, yeah. I think it just did that in a masterful secret under the radar way, which is yeah. a great shot. Whoever came hemming both of them in by expectations of people who aren't actually there. Yeah, so they become the ghosts of people. Yeah. I've got a note next that says, serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, I'm just going to read this because I won't be able to say it better than I've written it. Okay. I quite like how the first section of the film already presents Elsa from two different perspectives. It very quickly puts both of them equal in the story and oh, equal yeah. in the frame. Absolutely. So that Anna 
we think of Anna as the POV character, but it's almost subliminal. Like, they really are both in it. Yes. Up until that point, anyway, yeah. Yeah. I suspect they share more or less equal screen time until Let It Go. Until Let It Go. It feels like there's quite a long time between the beginning of the film and the coronation, and there's seconds. There's not a lot of time No, I know. All. They fit a lot of storytelling into that first yeah. third. The first third is the best third. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's cool how they managed to re-establish Anna as the main POV character over the next few scenes, even despite the fact that she's had her memory selectively wiped, which means we know more than her. Yeah. We've seen parts of her life she hasn't, but we still reconnect with her and sort of become happy to see the world through her eyes. Yeah. Which is clever. Yeah. Think, think of all the ways they could have screwed that up. Oh, yeah, yeah. It puts the viewer in a complex position of being way more aware of the story than its protagonist, which yeah. has been done in Disney before, but it's still sophisticated, it's still interesting. And it does it in a way that, as you touched on before, it's not structured around the idea that the protagonist needs to recover mm. that memory. Yeah. Even though you, you thought... I thought that was what it was, because yeah. so because every other amnesia story is that. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah. The wiping of her memory is not reversed. Yeah, it's not even... It's not just that she doesn't recover her memories by seeing something and going, oh, I remember, which I thought it would be. It's not even addressed, really. It's not addressed. She yeah. doesn't get them back. And I feel as if if I'd known that, I could yeah. have watched the film more fairly more the first time. The yeah. first time, yeah. So what this means, the icing on that particular cake, oh. is that whenever you see Elsa, the older Elsa in the opening scenes, she's presented as this quiet, aloof, mysterious person who's super serious, like in the serious bits of the coronation before they kind of have their warm moment. But... Even in those moments, we, the audience, and importantly, all the small girls who make up the bulk of the audience, yes. are completely aware, firstly, of how Elsa looks through Anna's eyes, yeah. which makes it impressive that the story isn't about Anna's resentment of her sister now she's all deadly serious. Yeah. But secondly, the fact that she's only being so serious, and we know she's only being so serious, because she has a ton of actual, legit, personal reasons. Yes. She's like the avatar of fear and self-loathing and guilt at this stage, and that informs the way she's behaving, but almost straight out the door... This film has taught us to understand that people who act coldly or are too serious or whatever probably have loads of layers to them that you might not be aware of. Yes. And reasons to act that way. They're not just a sort of different species. Exactly. And it's that's one of the more complex lessons you can learn about people. It's like, we're still learning that now. Yeah. It takes you <clears throat> way into adulthood to learn that. And so, like, here it is being completely laid out to the next generation while they're in primary school. Well, look. Disney are doing a really good job of this right now. I know you've not seen Zootopia yet because you are yeah. a failure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Zootopia is another film that lays out incredibly complex lessons that most adults don't know yeah. in the simplest, most accessible way possible. Yeah. So hopefully the next generation of children will just be better humans. Yeah, and I think they will. Yeah. Thanks, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We are, right, I am alerting you, we are now at First Time in Forever. Right. What did you have to say about it? This song is okay, but I don't really feel it. Same. Yeah? <laughs> Same. I have a real problem, as you said, with the fact that it's set up. Like you say, in that Lemmy's sense, where it's like, we are being introduced to two counterpart melodies mm. that intertwine and come together in the end. Yeah. And it's like... Alright, look, you have two options here. Either you have both of these be freestanding melodies that you've individually introduced first, and yeah, therefore absolutely. having them intertwined here is a payoff. Yeah. Or, Which you can do in the reprise in the castle later. Exactly. To beautiful effect. Or you have Anna's line and Elsa's line actually come together. Yeah. And they don't. No, it's a strange. They try and they never quite 
No. Never quite twist up together. The, my biggest problem with it is like Elsa is not singing a song called For the First Time in Forever. Yeah. And that needed to be step one yeah. in writing that song. She's singing a song called The Gates. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> when I... The, when she suddenly, the music stops in order to allow her to belt out the gates. Yeah. That was when I remembered we were in a song. Like, yeah. the, the singing was going on, but it never really occurred to me that we were in a belter song or like yeah. a song that was supposed to feel epic or grand. Yeah. It was, it just felt like a bit of filler. It felt like one of the conversational songs between songs in, in a like song through a musical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, when she belts out that the gates, I actually, this time listening to it, and, and I listened on headphones this time because I have bad speakers, which may be part of it, but <laughs> it felt like it was justified quickly afterwards when she sings the gates and the music picks up again it kind of made sense then but that moment of it stopping and her singing the word gates <laughs> felt so strange to me yes i understand i know what you mean and like you said it's it's i think it's because it, it's at that point you realize oh this is the culmination of yeah. the part of the song she was singing yeah rather than her getting to the point where they meet in the middle with the songs yes. they're singing because they don't. Elsa is singing a completely different song. Yeah. They don't dovetail at all, other than they fit in with each other on a broad... You know, they're written yeah. the same key, and they <laughs> roughly fit into the gaps of each... they happen at the same time in They the happen film. at the same time <laughs> in the film. But it feels like the film is pretending it's a much more elegant piece of songwriting than it is. Yes, and that's... That, yeah, that speaks to what I was talking about before, about it feeling like different musicals, because... I, it's more successful about being the other musical than it is. Like, I never, during Let It Go or Love Is An Open Door, I, I'm never annoyed. I'm never yeah. thinking, there's, there's no weak point in any of that for me. Yeah. But in this, I'm I'm nitpicking. They, yeah. They've just put me a little step out of the world of the film, and I'm looking at it as a piece of work. Anna's part is fine. Yeah, I like Anna's part. Although, yeah. well, with, with the uh, one little nitpick, which is that something about the way it seems to be written in, like, one time and double that time like you've got yeah. the, the verse and the chorus as it were yeah are divided up between like ba 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 and then ba 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 they they sort of alternate between them and it feels a little bit weird i'm sort of okay with some of the ramshackle elements of that yeah anna's part of it because it's anna singing yeah it, yeah and that well, that's sort of why fits i feel like character. i feel like she should have always sung in fast jumbly staccato bits and like doesn't she well, usually, but then that's what I mean. Then she starts. There she is going. Da -ba -da -da -ba -da -ba -da -do, I'm Anna, and then it goes long symbols for the first time, and it's like this is another song. But that's also part of her. Yeah, you know, like I said, that is her. I wish bit yes. of the song, you know, because she is that character mm. as well. It's just she's a scatterbrain yeah. version of that character. I'm okay with the construction of her side of it. It's just Elsa's side and the fact that. Elsa's side of it has nothing to do with Anna's side. I agree. I, I agree with all the words you just said, but something about that transition. Like, when she gets to the word forever, I'm back on board with the rhythm of the song. I think there's just this moment when I'm out to sea, figuring out where we are, you know? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. <clears throat> yeah. I think it... I don't think it's a great song. No. By and large. But I like it more now than I did previously. I'll certainly yes. say that. The thing that you need to remember about <clears throat> all yep. of this stuff is it's all sung beautifully. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Everyone who opens the mouth to sing in this film, I, yes. I can't think of an exception, sounds great. Exactly. Oh, another little nitpick I wrote down that's not sort of a huge deal, but um, I, I, I put that I keep hitting lines like, 
a beautiful stranger, tall and fair, which have all the signs of being a written lyric as opposed to something that feels natural, uh, which I might not have even written down had it not been immediately followed up with I want to stuff some chocolates in my face, which is the I think I'll take a stroll around the block of this song. It's I know what you mean, but again, I I think it's... Look... (laughs) I think I'll take a stroll around the block is one of the worst lyrics in Disney history. And why? Tim Rice. <laughs> no, but why? <laughs> what did he do that's wrong there? It is so, so artificial. It doesn't... Yeah. Like, it is entirely... It do, it, it's not a figure of speech. Yeah. It's not a piece of conversational dialogue. Yeah. It doesn't explain anything about the character. It's literally... Tim Rice couldn't think of a rhyme. <laughs> so he wrote that and said, animators, yeah. draw a bit where he goes around a corner yeah. to hide well, see, from I'm, someone. I'm, I'm almost with you. I'll defend it a little, just a touch more, just like the, the merest light touch of the brush, which is that I don't think it's meant to be that he's just literally walking around a corner. It's a way of saying, I will run away from these people in a nonchalant way or something like that. Yeah, but, but it's... No, I agree. It's not a commonly but the used... reason I agree. But the reason why I say that is... That it's a line which is entirely dependent on what happens to be on in the frame at the time. Yes. In the film. And is clearly there to rhyme with the previous line. Yeah. And I accuse this line of both of those things. I want to stuff some chocolates in my face. Depends on there being some chocolates in the screen for her to stuff in her face. And it depends on the previous line rhyming with that. I don't... And otherwise they wouldn't have said it. I listened to this literally today. Yeah. I don't fully agree with that. Okay. I feel like it... It fits into the narrative of the scenario she's telling. Okay. Because she's saying, like, you know, a beautiful stranger, tall and fair. Yeah. I want to stuff some chocolate in my face. She's describing... It's like a nervous reaction. Yeah, yeah. she's describing her nervous reaction. And yeah. then the next line is, but then we ah. talk... We, we, we oh! Talk ah, so the, she wants, in the imagined scenario, to stuff some chocolate in her Yeah, face. like, because she doesn't have any other reaction. It's just like, oh, God, look at this guy. Blah, 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 panic right, eat. Right. But then it all turns out fine. Yeah. Which is totally bizarre. Okay. Okay. I'm, that, back, I'm back on board. And it's I would have been on board... Line. Yeah. I would have been on board from the start, I think... And this is a minor thing. If she just sung it normally and then popped a chocolate in her face between lines instead of yeah. going, <laughs> as if it's important that she's eating chocolates at, at the that, time. At the yeah. point she's singing yeah. rather than in the imagined Which scenario. Yeah. I now accept I'm wrong about it, but that's why. And there's a moment in a minute, there's, there are moments in this film where I'm like, I was wrong about something, but I can point to what? I can point to where the film put it in my head. Yes. Okay, move on. That's me for that song. A sort of general emptiness is the next uh, is my next point. <laughs> there is a certain emptiness to the scenes that wasn't there entangled. Here we are at the ball for the coronation of the queen, yes. and it feels less populated than an ordinary day in whatever that town entangled was called. Yes, and Agreed. this is meant to be a bigger town, right? This is meant to be more of a city than that. Well, yeah, that, that's sort of like the capital, really, isn't it? Yeah. Where all the dignitaries are turning up. It is very sparsely populated now, as, as a film in general. Yes, and I think we have to give them... A lot of my points come back to this. This film, I've learned, had a significantly smaller budget than Tangled did. Did it? Yeah. yeah. Because Tangled had a huge budget. Like, right. I think it was the highest budget animated film or something. Wasn't that partly because of the fact that there were some yeah. false starts? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think it was okay. because it went on for so long. But as a result of that, they had time to... Hone things, you know? Yes. Uh, for example... But they probably blew loads of money on versions of it that never got made. Yeah, so that'll be part of the, the record-breaking side of it. But, like, how many times during Frozen did you see a, a blatant NPC as opposed to Entangled? Like, remember those singing... Yeah. You remember those sing, the singing choir 
at the coronation that are just like the most generic faces ever. Yeah. Um, there are people standing still in the background in this film, and they're oh, all yes. entangled. Yeah. No, there are there are NPCs yeah. in Frozen. There are non entangled, and there is also. Moments of great animation entangled, and moments of really bog standard out the box animation. Uh, sorry, in Frozen. Frozen. Yeah, and they can be in the same scene. Like yeah. there's at the end of First Time in Forever, um, Anna jumps through the square in a very basic way that you would see in anyone's animated film. Yeah, and then does an amazingly well realized run and skip along. Yeah. to then run into the front of the horse. Yeah, um, in the same shot, nearly. Yeah. I think there is a camera cut between them, so it's like. This is a film where I think I could go from scene to scene and go, like, higher budget, lower budget for each bit. I didn't realise that it was a lower budget tangle. That explains a lot. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It, And it it kind of makes me feel bad about some of my criticisms because it's like, tangled was just every frame was really, really scrutinised. Disney is Disney, though. Yeah. You know, like, and it is the highest grossing animated film of all time. At that point, you have to sort of say, okay, long. Yeah. We're judging you by the standards of the big boy table, you know? Definitely. Exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I just carry on about that. Rapunzel popped in and had a dance in the square and it was epic and bustling and became a giant musical montage. Yeah. Here, everyone stands in one place and there's a brief dance where Anna leaves one place, dances over there, comes back and everything's reset again. Now, it makes more sense because this formal occasion would be more ordered than the scene entangled, but... But there is a lack of life in the in the periphery and the edges. But I've felt the same thing throughout the film. Agreed. First time in Forever sequence had it too. The part where Adina Menzel does a huge pause before blasting out the gates. <laughs> um, Prince pops in. And the first thing he does is assault her. Right. I thought you meant Prince. Prince arrives. The late Prince. Yes. R.I.P. Yes. <laughs> he, the late Prince as of yesterday, was it? Yes. When, at time of recording. Yeah. Um, no, not him. In his one and only Disney role. <laughs> Assaults Anna, did you say? The first the first thing <laughs> Prince Hans does <laughs> right. in this film is he he runs her over in his horse. <laughs> <laughs> Within his horse that he's driving. Yes. I was looking this time round for the clues, right? Because okay. he's not he doesn't develop evil. He comes in with a plan, right? Yes. It gets worse, I think, as time goes by, and it can be argued that he doesn't have the idea of actually bumping anyone off. Until quite near the end, when um, someone actually says, if anything happened to the princess, there'd be no one left in charge. And he goes, hmm. But no, I always... he was saying when he, when he does his big evil turn moment, they're like, oh, I was planning to just arrange for an accident yeah. for you in the yeah, but he's Yeah, but he says that after they say that, and it could mean, I was just thinking about it just now. I don't know. I, I think he planned all along. Yeah. So this time I was looking for the clues of that. And if yes. you go from that mindset... I, I'm, I say he deliberately rode, drove his horse into her. Well, the thing with Hans, and this is something the filmmakers have said, yeah. is that Hans is... I mean, Hans is basically a sociopath. Yeah. He knows how to play people. Yeah. He can read a person very quickly and mirror back at them yeah. the way they are yeah. to them to get under their skin and get in with them, yeah. basically. It's possible that he the reason run th- Anna over in his horse. The reason I think he did that is instantly... Four frames later, yeah, he has control of his horse enough yeah. to get it to put its foot on the boat and stop it from tipping her into the water. So it's not like he doesn't have masterful, down-to-the-nerve-ending control of this horse. Okay, two things, yeah. though. Number one, 
you do have that little gag at the end of that scene where the horse lets go of him. True. He falls okay, in the water. Yeah. And the second point, which is the bigger point, he says in his evil speech that I actually came here to... Again, true. Okay, come, yeah. Come off with Elsa. But then I ran into... I think he ran into... By accident and realised, okay. Okay, yeah. I'm she's convinced. probably easier. <laughs> yeah, know? that's it. That seems... Yeah, I'm with you there, actually. I have further Hans thoughts, but I think oh, we'll yeah. get to those when we talk about Love is an Open Door. Okay, well, we're nearly there. They do seem to give Hans an almost genuine Disney love smile when yeah. he's in the water watching her go. Yeah. But I guess it's meant to be that you can interpret it as a, like, I've found my in. Um, yes. But it seems a bit too love smile. Yes, it does. I have significant hands problems. <laughs> then you get the scene um, with Anna and Elsa, and that's all great. Yeah. We've established we love that. I like... I, I particularly noted that I like Elsa saying sorry when she sends her off to dance with Duke, Duke of Wesselton and Weaselton. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a nice touch. And, yeah. and that it really, really showed that she wasn't cold and unpleasant, which the no. film was trying its hardest to show and yeah. succeeded. I do not know what Like a Chicken with the Face of a Monkey is supposed to be. <laughs> the Duke is dancing and he goes, like the like a chicken with the face of a monkey. And I guess it's meant to be a joke. I feel like Alan Tudyk just said something. Yeah. And they thought it was funny without scrutinising whether it made any sense or not. Yeah. So they just animated it. And it's, it's kind of frustrating to me that everyone who likes that will say it's because it's random, because it's silly. And uh, I can't really begrudge them that. Like, yeah. They're right. Yeah. And, and he if delivers they it, it, it's correct. Yeah, and he delivers it entertainingly. Yeah. But I, I think that that sort of joke is better if there's some seed that yes. means that at least that character would think of saying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of problems I have with Duke of Wesselton. Just remove him from the film and what changes? Nothing other than he's a red herring villain. Okay. But he's such a transparently obvious red herring yeah. villain in, in terms of, like, it's so clear that there's no threat going to be posed by him. Yes, and the weird thing is he's the most of a, a red herring villain, if you like, before things start to hot up and he starts to really act. Like, I, I actually felt this time that at the point where he sends those two guys and says to them, like, killer. Yeah. I almost, like, got why by that point. From his perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She is really frightening. By yeah. that point, he okay, starts whoa, off, right, yeah. He is, yeah, he starts off like as as petty and yeah. mean, and he wants to in some way rip off the country somehow. Yeah, but then he does get shot at by an ice sorcerer. He does, <laughs> and then he sends the two guys, and it okay, it is too much that he asks them to kill her. Right? Yeah, it is. But when they get there, they do get attacked with a giant snow golem. And the film has established... And then almost impaled on icicles. Yeah, and the yeah. film has already established that even the, the most meagre snowman being alive is terrifying. Yes. To, to the people in the village. Yeah, who aren't used to ice sorcery. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's not that evil by that point. And I actually thought he was, like, quite cool in the bit where... No, in the bit where Hans is at his most evil and he comes out and he's like, oh, she died, but we got married, so I'm the king now. And that bit. Yeah. The Duke is like, oh, no! Yeah. But this is horrible. Like, the, she's been murdered. We've got to actually find this horrible sorceress. Yeah. Like, I didn't think he was being that bad of a guy at that stage. No, so then when at the end he's like, we're kicking you out of the kingdom and yeah. cutting all of your trade yeah. routes. It's like, what did he actually do other than react with reasonable terror to being attacked by an ice warlock? And then it's made fun of. He's like, I was a victim of terror. It's like, yeah. no, you were, yeah. yeah you literally were. You have to say it in that tone, like, it's silly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's an odd character in me. 
But I happen to know that he was going to, at some stage, be the villain. Yeah. There was a version of the story where it was him. I'm guessing the version immediately after they decided that the Snow Queen wasn't going to be the villain. Yes. They came up with him. So I feel as if he's like a dangling end of... I think that this film has some stuff in it, which I I recognise the feeling of some of the things I don't like about this film as yeah. being the same feeling as when I'm writing something. Um, I, I write comics and stuff, by the way. That's one of the things I do. <laughs> When me and Abby have been working on a story and we've changed something yes. that changes fundamentally everything, but and we you... haven't thought to remove the dangling ends of yeah. what it was before. Loads of stuff in this film reminds me of well, that. Well, I don't think it, he needed to be removed. I think that they didn't finish changing yeah. him into something yeah. that still had utility in the film. Yeah. Because he ought to have been a convincing red herring villain so that the hand's turn would hit because you'd realize, oh crap, the Duke isn't the villain at all. He's the villain. But yeah. you weren't thinking of the Duke as the villain in any, any real sense. Exactly. Basically at any point. Yeah. So, yeah. He's a troublesome character. But he was important in helping them get this good run of Alan Tudyk roles. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Um, Love is an open door. Right. Okay. Here we are. Right. (laughs) I've got things to say about the song and the character. Yes. I love this song. Yeah. I think it's a great song. Oh, God, yeah. Lovely song. Remember the first time watching it and just, ah, just having yeah. a big grin on your face. This is so charming. It's so well written. I, I was, best Disney love song I've ever heard, I was thinking yeah. to myself. Yeah, it's charming. It's one of the best, it's probably this, I, you know, just under Lego for me in terms of, it's And it's a, it's a very clear statement as well of like, this fits in with modern musical sense. Yeah, exactly. It's a very new take on the Disney love song. Yes. I love it. It's great. I also really like, in this scene and throughout the film, who Hans appears to be. Mm -hmm. I like him a lot. (laughs) Like, I think he's a very good love interest who's very likeable and comes across as entirely, entirely charming. So at the point where he turns out to be like, ah, I was secretly evil yeah. all a frigging long, even when you weren't on the screen <laughs> and when I was just on my own, it's just like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, not just like, I'm so shocked because this was such a rug pull, yeah. but it's like a, no bollocks. That's like, you didn't set this up. You didn't set this character up in that way at all. Yeah. I'm going to argue for it, but I want to hear... In order for him to be that conniving... yeah. Like, to have been that convincing yep. throughout, this guy must be the worst. Yeah. He is like a frigging, you know, a reptile in human skin. Yeah. Like, this is a person who has no soul, no interior, like, even the littlest expression on his face, <laughs> on his own, yeah. is a yeah. lie. Everything about him then is a lie. Like, if none of that was real, then he is an absolute monster. He is like one of the scariest Disney villains ever. Yeah. But the film clearly doesn't want us to actually think that. Because he gets such a weak source send-off at the end of the movie. He just gets, It's just like, yeah. oh, you made a fool out of me. You, you I'm going to punch you. Put your head in the bucket on the floor. In the, yeah, and then you'll fall over and yeah. you'll fall in the water. And then, yeah. like, did you see the short that, um, the Frozen Fever short? Can't remember, so probably it, not. It came before the live-action Cinderella. So I haven't you seen that yet. And if it's on the, I haven't got the disc for that. So, I haven't, so you haven't seen no. it. So Hans has a tiny role in that oh. where it's like, I mean, I guess it's a... Do you mind if I spoil a single visual gag oh, involving no. Hans from the Fro- Frozen Fever show? No. 
at a certain point in the short, a giant snowball gets launched from Arendelle, and it flies across the sea into the kingdoms where Hans is. Yeah. And it turns out that his role is now shoveling right. dung. Okay. And the snowball hits him and it hits him into some dung. And he's silly. And he's silly because, not what, what, <laughs> he's a bad guy, but really he wasn't the worst guy. Yeah. So we don't need to kill him. He's just got a sort of a bit of an embarrassing sort of like, oh, he fell into dung like Balkan Skull. <laughs> he is not Balkan Skull. <laughs> this guy is a frigging, he's a wraith. He, this guy could be a serial killer. Yeah. Like, uh, no, he is, for sure. Yeah. Because he came in here like, well, I'll kill her. I'll have to kill her and then I'll do this. It's like, you know, of course... If if he hasn't done it before, he's yeah. going to do it again. Of course. He is first lovely. Yeah. Then when you tell me that 100% of that lovely listen is a complete lie, mm-hmm. then he's the worst. And then the film tries to prevaricate at the end about what he is. I just think that he's... I know what they were trying to do. I know mm-hmm. they were trying to subvert the Prince Charming mm-hmm. trope. Mm-hmm. But it's half-cocked. I don't think it's without merit, though, because even though it, it really takes it to the absolute extreme, having monopolised the childhood business and spent that telling girls to definitely marry the man, the first man you meet, yeah. not, not only is it a good idea to tell them now, don't do that, Yeah. but isn't it a good idea to give them an example of the kind of guy that is out there that they could make the mistake with? I I get that, but then don't show him like they do in this, where he is legitimately just lovely. Yeah, but that's how they are. That's how they seem. I mean, you know, think of all because we know people, don't we? Who've had a sudden breakup with someone who turned out to be a psycho, but seemed fine all along. I don't think that's a necessarily a healthy message, though. Yeah. Even if the person is completely lovely, they might be a literal murdering oh, psycho. Yeah, yeah. You know where, I mean? where does it leave those of us who actually are quite nice? Exactly. <laughs> for, for, well, for example... So what we're saying is, not all men. Yes. <laughs> well, look, here is where I link back to Enchanted. Okay. Because I know you didn't like the way that that panned out yeah. in that movie. I really like that. Okay. Because of the fact that it shows that, look, the person can be nice... Mm. In a lot of ways. But don't just jump at it like right. that. They yeah, might okay. not be the right person for you. Because, like, the prince in that, he's And not you a... will have to remind me, because I can't really remember quite what happened. Basically, the prince in that is a cartoon prince uh-huh. who's got no depth whatsoever. Yeah. And at the beginning, the princess is a cartoon princess yes. who has no depth whatsoever. As she develops more and becomes more of a three-dimensional mm-hmm. human being, she realises, actually, this guy is... I mean, he's not bad, but, like, I was going to marry him just like that. And now I start to understand more about the real world and be more mature, I realise, no, I can't just jump at a person like that. As I've got to know him, I realise we're not actually as well-suited as I immediately assumed in that first throng of fairy tale impassioned love. Mm-hmm. And at the end, where they go their separate ways, okay, they end up pairing off with the other person. Mm-hmm partner or whatever but it kind of comes across as look those two couples they weren't the right people for each other and okay it's lucky that the right person happens to be the other person's partner and that makes squares things away but well that was the issue I had the issue I had was that as I remember and as I say I can't really remember this is what I thought at the time the story seemed to be that one of them stole the partner of another one and the only reason that was okay was because the other one went oh I'll have this one then I didn't take it like that at all. It was like right. she was rushing into a, a relationship that wasn't right. suitable right. for okay. her. And when she actually spent some time with the other guy, she realized, A, no, I'm not suited to that guy. And B, I think I'm probably suited to you. And so there is a genuine sense of like sadness and conflict where it's like, 
ah, but now I've got to go off with him because I promised yeah, myself okay. to him in that impulsive, immature way. And now I'm left sad and conflicted. What I liked is it's not demonizing the other person just because they're not right for you. Yes. You know? Whereas this is sort of like, don't trust even somebody who top to bottom can seem beautifully lovely. <laughs> yeah. Because they might be a murder psycho. Yeah. You know? That is too strong a message. However, okay. this time, watching that sequence, I think it is set up. It's just okay. not set up with the moment where the character turns to camera and cackles. There are little things which you can't see the first time, but you can see another time. There's a line, I can't remember what it is, earlier on in the song, like at the start of the song, where he says yeah. something along the lines of, I thought I could find a place of my own. Yeah. And as he does this, he indicates her city. Yeah. He goes, a place of my own, it's Arendelle. So yeah. like, the, and, and it is full of little things like that. When they get back to the palace, she says... We could. Will we live here in the palace? And he goes, absolutely we will. Yeah. So, like, it is full of little references to him wanting to move in and have this. But the thing is, they <laughs> can very easily go in the direction of, like, okay, he's just an impulsive romantic, like, yeah. like she's being. Yeah. And maybe being a bit presumptuous. Yeah. But not that he's a murder psycho. <laughs> I don't like the way that that turn is executed. Yeah. And I feel like it robs the film. It's like... It's one of those things that it's an effective twist because you don't see it coming, mm -hmm. but I don't feel it plays fair with you mm. in terms of the reasons why you don't see it coming. A twist like that would feel better if instead of going, oh my God, you went, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you, exactly. If you realise in that moment, oh, because he did, oh yes, of course. Sort of thing. That's it. I don't feel like there's any clues given whatsoever. Yeah. I don't feel like that's playing fair with the audience. And... We'll come to this later, mm -hmm. but I feel like it leaves a hole in the film because, frankly, I much preferred him when he was the love interest to Christoph being the love interest at any point. I'm not as harsh on it as you are. I think I, I did quite enjoy it. I thought it was there was something fun about having that gasp moment, and people do yes, gasp during it. Of course, um, but you've got no choice but to. Yeah. Because there's no preamble. Yeah. It's like a jump scare, you know what I mean? Yeah. There, there's not that much yeah, craft yeah. to it. If I just run out of somebody in the middle of the street and go, they're going to jump. But that's not because I'm the master of fear, <laughs> you know what but I it's mean? it's not as well set up as if you ran all the way down the road going, towards them. Yeah, for example. <laughs> or if earlier in their day they'd heard the sound in the distance. Yes. Foreshadowing, you yeah. know? However, it is fun to listen to the song as a parody of love songs, of pop mm. songs about love. Because there is enough in the song, not necessarily to point to the betrayal, yeah. but certainly to point to they're jumping in too fast. Yes. There's so many silly little gags and funny little bits. And uh, on that level, I feel as if, like, if they just made that song and put it on the radio without a film, it'd be a fun little novelty record that's like a parody of pop songs. To yes. So on that level, it, it succeeds. As a song to listen to, it succeeds. It's Definitely, very catchy. Yeah. Well produced, brilliantly performed, like they sing in it really well. Absolutely. I just feel saddened by it because its role in the story is ultimately neutered. Right. It ends up being a red herring song, right. really, and that's unfortunate. I would have liked it to carry the emotional weight that I felt like it was doing yeah. the first time I watched it. Yeah. And I feel like it they neuter that great song and that great moment in service of other plot points that don't work as well as it. Interestingly, there's a for, for most of the little points that I've written rants about and then went over them again this time round and was a bit kinder about them, 
just to interrupt myself for a moment, this is editing Dave, by the way, interjecting in the future as I edit out the pauses and ums from this discussion, and I just wanted to warn you that I'm about to say something rather rambling and incoherent. It was rather late at night at this point, and I was beginning to wilt intellectually, so I'm going to let it play, then I'm going to step in and explain to you what I was actually trying to say. Most of them turn out to be like the thing I didn't know why they did or the thing I thought they shouldn't have done is always to set up something they had to set up. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, that's not really a defence. Like I'm saying you can do things less clumsily. Yeah. The one in this case is that it sets up love is an open door. It, essentially, from early on in the film, what they are successfully seeding is yeah. the real twist. And they do that all the way through. And they do keep, And that's the explanation for another one of the scenes I had the trouble with, which is the scene where Olaf doesn't die. That scene there is, again, it's another moment of them establishing the rules for when we do get the final twist. And we do go, of course. Yeah. And then it's undermined by them going, love. And we go, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then look into it. And okay, it makes sense. But that was a little, huh? At the time. Anyway. See? Here's what I was trying to get across. When you first watch this film, if you're able to look for thematic things, then you recognise that Anna's main problem in the film is closed doors. There's lots of them, constantly trapping and re-trapping Anna all the time. But it all stems from the Uber door, the main one that plagues her, which is Elsa's bedroom door. The moment Elsa shut her out is, to Anna, the focal point for all Anna's suffering. So, thematically speaking, it's nice that the film describes her budding love story as an open door. Finally, a door is opening on Anna instead of closing. We think. But, and this is what I was trying to explain, once we know how the story turns out and look back on this moment, it turns out to have been a clue to the final twist. Love isn't this guy. This guy, he closes and locks the final worst door on Anna. Instead... The song is cheekily telling us, without our realising, the final act of love will be functionally the same thing as that uber door finally opening. Love is her relationship with Elsa. Does that, see what I mean? Does that make sense? So from that perspective, this song is a good bit. It's a good step along the way to establishing that. And the film is full of moments like that, which seem to be just a story happening, but are actually cleverly distributed seeds of the final resolution. But, unfortunately, in this film, that's sometimes the only way they actually work. A good example of this being the Olaf scene later, which feels a bit confused and incomplete on its own, and only really works as a way of establishing the concept of sacrifice as love. Anyway, we'll get there. Hopefully that was a bit less baffling. Back to the conversation! I liked the bit where they're going with you, with you, with you. Yes. Uh, for two reasons. Firstly, because it sounds like a couple not wanting to be the first one to hang up the phone. Yes. I thought it was really well written. And in that scene, they are sliding down a polished hallway, and it's the first time she has gone sliding since she was a kid with Elsa. So yeah. it's a really good little mirror of that. Absolutely. It's her getting fun back. Hello, Editor Dave again. Um, just while I've got my mic out, I wanted to add here that I've since seen the film again, and I was actually wrong here when we recorded this. This isn't the first time she's gone sliding since childhood. It's just the first time we get to see it, which yeah, is functionally the same thing in a film. But in fact, in a very brief montage of conversation snippets between her and Hans before the song, you can just about hear her telling him that she sometimes has to slide on her own. So I guess in canon, the point of the moment is that she's now sliding with someone for the first time in forever. 
whatever. And since I'm here, something else I noticed during that viewing, and liked enough to just want to bring it up. It's not particularly to do with this point, I just wanted to bring it up, didn't say it before. Love is an Open Door actually starts with a really cool bit of secret visual storytelling. Look out for this. Anna's first line is, All my life has been a series of doors in my face. And as she says this, they're standing on a palace balcony with a big door. And through that door, we can see what I believe is Elsa's big uber door, the big door in her face that she's mainly talking about in the line. And she triumphantly shuts the balcony door, right, blocking it out. Now, that's really clever, because on the one hand, she thinks she's taking agency and closing her own door on that door. And that is how it comes across in the moment. But of course, what she's also doing is adding to the problem with just yet one more door. And what's worse, it's the door that shuts herself and hands away on their balcony together on their own. In other words, she's symbolically reducing her immediate surroundings more than ever before, and the whole relationship, which is supposed to be such a fresh and freeing open door, right, only begins when Anna symbolically shuts herself into a tiny little space alone with this monster. Go and check it out if you can. See if you think I'm right. I think it's a great little trick, which, along with the to find my own place gesture and the sense that Hans is always following and replying to Anna's lines throughout the song, and the way the, the the funny sort of klutzy you and I line actually shakes out with hands not quite including himself in her fantasy at all. It's all fun to find. But I don't mean to undermine Jahan's point here just because I've got access to a microphone after the fact. So let me add that none of these clues could be possibly be picked out on a first viewing. So they only really count as fun hidden details rather than clues that we can point to as having been like, no, you should have seen that. That supports the twist. You, you couldn't see them the first time around. Okay. Uh, okay. Back to the podcast then. Bye. It's a great right. sequence. Oh God. Every, that, Here's my moment that I'd never spotted before, but I love it, is when they're on the lighthouse and the light, the bulb of the lighthouse turns and it just turns to the camera at the exact moment they want to wipe to the next scene. So yep. you being blinded by the light cuts to the next scene. And the next scene is their silhouettes dancing about on the sails of a boat, which every previous time I've seen it, I thought, oh, they're, they're behind the sails. They're on the boat or something like that. But they're on the lighthouse, which is in the corner of that shot with them tiny Dancing still up there, and the beam is shining onto the sails of the boat. Amazing. Great visual composition in this film. Yeah. Yeah. The sandwiches line is great fun, and I am genuinely dismayed to learn that it's nicked from something else. <laughs> um, I thought the TV nerds were just being nerds when they all jumped out to point the reference. What is it, a community or I don't one of know. those? It, and they all said, it's a reference to thing we're all watching that's a comedy right now. And I was like, no, it's just they just made a similar joke. But no, it turns out it's a reference to the joke being used in something else. And that annoys me a lot. Because <laughs> it's a good line. And it's like explicitly nicked from something this is not a reference to or in any way similar to. That annoys me. I remain unannoyed. <laughs> good. <laughs> So we finished Love is an Open Door now. So we're in the scene now where she asks about the wedding. Um, I like the moment where Anna goes, please, I can't... She, she's ordered the gates be closed again. She yeah. sp specifically orders that. And that is the point at which Anna says, I can't live like this anymore. Meaning shut up in the place. Yeah. And Elsa goes, then leave. And I like the way that line works because it's just the sort of thing that someone in a film who was just, just being mean would say. Then leave. Yeah. Perhaps you shouldn't be living here. But instead, she's not just arbitrarily getting her to shut up. She's yeah. like, seriously, if you leave, it'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be shut up in here. You yeah. go and be free. It'll be great. Yeah, maybe. I don't that, need you locked that in. That is for the best for everybody. It'd yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. But it comes across through Anna's eyes yeah. and 
first time I watched it, I thought as well yeah. that it was just a sort of like, well, get out of here then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that was a that was my fault and not the film's. Like the film, it yeah. is it is clearly a much more textured line. Yes, Elsa loses control. She yeah. does all the freezy magicy stuff. Yeah, you get the lovely fountains. I really like the fountains. Yes, I love the freezing fountain. I really loved when the whole area froze over. Like the whole is it the sea or is it a lake or whatever it's it is? It's a lake, I think. Yeah, and they have these amazing springy noises in the soundtrack. <laughs> it sounds amazing and it's like and I know that Ice makes that sound oh yeah and I didn't know this until years ago we were out on a cold night and Tom picked up a stone and skimmed it across the canal yeah and it made such an amazing noise that I didn't expect it was like <laughs> it was incredible and they've got that noise here as the place freezes over but in a really creaky bassy way it's fantastic yeah. sound yeah. then you get a nice bit of background banter I don't know if you noticed this we go back to the town and you spend a moment with just extras who are in the town. Yes. And a woman goes, snow! And another woman goes, snow! And the first woman goes, yes, snow. <laughs> it's, the, it's weird. Yes, snow. So that happens. Um, Anna defending her sister and blaming herself is some really mature writing and I like it this is the point at which she's going I'm going to go off and get her and Hans is like no you should stay I'm going to go no you should I'll I'll come with you and protect you no you should be in charge of the kingdom okay (laughs) it's that bit I was watching that scene again for like is there any evidence here that Hans is like a psycho you know a murder psycho I was like no no there isn't but there is evidence that he's secretly trying to take over the kingdom it's that moment where she says I need someone to stay and take charge and he goes I'll do anything you say but when you see what he's doing, yeah. he's giving out blankets and like yeah. organizing things. He's not, he's not a bad ruler by any means. No. But then doesn't that make you think about like the stuff we've been finding out about nearly everyone who's ever been in power? Like really nice people don't usually take control of places and like the good rulers have not often been the yeah. sort of person you'd want to share a drink with. But the thing is though, it doesn't come across as like Oh, he's taken charge of this yeah. kingdom. It comes across as like he's been managing things in an emergency situation. Oh, right. And he's doing a really proactive, caring job about it. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's like, as my first edict, it's yeah. like, well, yeah, right, but let's, let's make sure everyone has the blanket. But he's not at the end of the stage yet. He's still impressing Anna. Like, as far as, he, as, as, far as but, his plan goes, yeah. she gets back fine and sees all the wonderful work he's done and marries him. Like I said, I don't feel like it's given the audience enough before that yeah. to work it out fair enough I think it needs to fair enough so Anna jumps to the assumption that Elsa didn't mean it which I love I think that's, yes. I think that's mature right I think it's a step further than most similar characters would go who would go oh I'm sure it was a misunderstanding but actually be a bit suspicious or whatever yeah. she just goes no it was an accident because yeah. my sister's awesome Yeah. even though she may have been blanking me for however many years like she's right on board and I, I just think it's a good she's bit she's been blanking me for years she shot down my marriage yep. she told me to get out yeah then she attacked everyone with the ice powers that apparently yeah. she has. And then there's on top of that the added layer that Anna assumes it actually must be her fault. Yeah. Because she's got this self-worth problem, as illustrated a few times already. Yeah. With lines like, it's just me, or like yeah. and, and in that scene she says, No, I'm perfectly ordinary. Yeah. It's that. Great. What a good bit of writing that is. She's a great character. Yeah. Um, We're almost to the bit of the film where the film stops playing to that as a strength, but yeah. <laughs> And then the transition to Let It Go, in which we pull up from what's going on into the frozen fountain, and we go through that. Yes. That's nice. Yeah. That's a good touch. I think we've discussed how awesome Let It Go is. We have. I'm about to again. Right. Because I wrote down 
things. <laughs> That's where we'll leave it for episode 2. In our next episode, we're going to discuss Let It Go, one of the most noteworthy sequences of animation and music that Disney have produced since the previous Disney renaissance of the 90s. We have a lot to talk about while orbiting the topic of this one brief but vitally important moment in animation, and so that's what we will be doing in our third episode. Our discussion spins off in a hundred different directions. We talk not just about the actual song Let It Go, but about Disney songs as a general thing in culture, as a marketing tool, and what they've meant to us in our childhoods. It'll be about Disney's current management direction, it'll be about the way Disney films transformed themselves during our childhoods from jolly background noise to vital cultural tentpoles, it'll be about musicals and how movies currently handle them, and it will be about Let It Go, because Let It Go, we will explain, is about all of these things. Do come back for episode 3, the Let It Go podcast! Remember, you can contact us with your comments and admonishments at SeriousDisness on Twitter or SeriousDisness at gmail.com. If this podcast has improved your day in any small way, then please pop onto iTunes and become our favourite people by giving it five stars and a review. Because if you don't, nobody will find us. And if they do, they'll assume we're not good enough for anyone to have reviewed us. So please do. Thank you. Bye. Um, hang on a minute, one more thing that I've noticed about Love is an Open Door since we recorded this is that um, it, when they go, I've never met someone who thinks so much like me, um, the notes that they land on with me are compatible, but they're discordant against the background music, kind of like in a way that does feel nice at the time. It feels like a cool, snazzy, modern sort of chord, but it's actually not a complimentary chord. And just, how flipping brilliant is that? Because in the context of the song, like, it's two notes that go together nicely in that moment. But if you really, like, look at it, then against the context of what is going on in the background, it's not. It's brilliant. I love Love is an Open Door. It's such a good... Oh, I love it. Bye.